ladies and gentlemen. I miss the days of student radio where I could just shout, literally shout, and nobody would care. <laughs> but this is a podcast, and I'm in my room, and I have to be more professional. Anyway, in the words of Public Enemies, Chuck D, bring the noise. Fellow Podcast Network, I am Charlie Taylor, and this this is what's good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope everybody's having a great week. I've been actually quite up and down on this past week, honestly. So I've been a, this today, as I record, has been the only day this week where I've just felt actually ready to go. You know, just ready to just. Just, re- just really knocks you out of the park, you know what I mean? It's just one that, it's just, excuse me, it's just been one of those weeks. Monday I was okay, uh, well, one day, Sunday I was okay. Excuse me, I've, I've been, I've been, I've been drinking. Uh, uh, Aid, not, not actual drinking. Um, <laughs> so hence the hiccups. Uh, so yeah, I, I, Sunday was okay, you know, I recorded Digging Digits, obviously, if you haven't listened to the episode uh, about Dreamville, give it, give it a, a listen, and also the rest of the show, uh, we're really making moves there. Uh, and yeah, when it came to just the start of the week, I was just, um, I don't know, I was just, I just tripped up with the starting blocks, I guess, I don't know, it was uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, especially Wednesday. Uh, yeah, yesterday I was just... I don't know. I just do. I just couldn't do anything. I just felt terrible. I felt constantly. I just felt tired all day. Just throughout the day, I didn't want to do anything. And you know, I just. I don't know. I, I just kind of felt. I guess overwhelmed by the stuff I'm doing right now. Just trying to do everything. Got a review come in on Saturday uh, for Fifth Element as well. And you know, I'm just also doing script stuff, and that's always just you know, um, just. Uh, uh, taking taking time out of my day, so it's just been a lot of juggling for me, and I guess I was just a bit flustered by it. I've just, I've just been putting a lot of my a lot on myself, so you know, so it's just it's just one of those it's just one of those weeks. But today I'm feeling a lot better. I'm, I'm feeling a lot better today. I'm feeling I, I feel I feel I feel confident. You know, I feel I feel confident to get to to get the job done. You know, what I mean, I've actually done some productive work today, and I feel and I feel great about that. So. Uh, everything's going okay today anyway <laughs> and you know you just have to take stuff day by day sometimes when you're just feeling like that you just have to just try and get a good night's sleep and just hope hope to wake up good because that's kind of how my day goes if I if I don't wake up good then my whole day's screwed <laughs> honestly I have to have a I have to have a good night just to just to tune out and even yesterday last night I wasn't even tuning out that well I I went to bed at like eleven, which is really early for me, and uh, yeah, it's just uh, no, I didn't get to sleep until like four. So uh, you know, but you know, it's, it's other than that, I woke up great and I'm feeling good. So and I hope you guys are feeling great as well. I hope you guys are having having a good week. Anyway, uh, hence this attitude, hence this uh, you know, uh, well not hence uh, because of this decent attitude. I've kind of uh, I've kind of switched up uh, in terms of what I'm talking about because I actually had a I had a lot to I had a lot to uh, chew on uh, this week uh, in terms of news but I kind of went on the more 
I've I've kind of gone half and half, you know. When some of some a couple of these are, you know, very you know poignant to me and something I wanted to talk about, and the other two are kind of just um, I'm just gonna have fun with them, honestly, because uh, especially the life segment, you know, when it comes to life segment, I've, I've just been you know very dark <laughs> and just just because life can be dark you know life is dark most of the time and we like to dwell on the negatives negative stuff but i found a good positive one that i felt like talking about and i'm going to enjoy that one as well so we have two film and tv segments on the docket we have a life segment we also have a sports segment and yeah formalities before we begin as always we've got the email we've got the twitter we've got the facebook and we got the fifthelement.org.uk for all the links uh, that I'll read during the show. If you want to read those yourself, they will be on the fifthelement.org.uk, d5thelement.org.uk. And with that said, let the beat drop and let's get into it. begin with sports and boy let me just um for those that aren't into basketball and i know there's probably a lot of people <laughs> listen and not into basketball right let me let me give you a let me give you a prelude in terms of how boss this story is right so this uh so, so in ba- in basketball there's a different way of in American sports anyway, they have this free agency period, okay? And I've talked about it before, obviously, during uh, in previous previous episodes, so, you know, um, the the explainer should have been way before this, but, but anyway, uh, they have a free agency period, and it's, it's similar to, you know, every other sport, when the sport's not, when the season of that sport isn't happening, people make moves, people get transferred in football, and they have free agency periods in American sports. And most of the time, it's usually up to the team in terms of who they who they pick. They usually have the power to pick who they want, you know, and bring in people, ask for meetings, and you know, get these get these players in for meetings. Going like, we really want you part be part of this. Na 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 na. And obviously, they give the checks. They give the checks at the end of the day, you know, and, and that's where the that's where the power for the teams come from. But more and more and more and more often. Year by year, especially in this decade, players in the NBA have gotten this power over teams to the point now where we're genuinely think we're genuinely asking ourselves who are calling the shots, because Kawhi Leonard, and this is getting to the segment itself, Kawhi Leonard is a beast. Kawhi Leonard is an absolute G. Excuse the plane. I'm just gonna let it go. Kawhi Leonard is an absolute G. Like, if you if you think about LeBron James, right, and the decision, which is now I think ten, nearly ten years old now, nearly a decade old, or just just a, a in and around a decade old, and obviously that was a very monumental moment, simply because it created a sea change in the NBA for the uh, for a time when a player has that much power. Over, you know, he his his how much power LeBron had, right? He left Cleveland, right? He left Cleveland, and Cleveland became the worst team in the league. 
literally, they became the worst team in the league as soon as he left. One player left a team, and a, and and they went to the NBA Finals with him. Okay, so they went to they went from a finals team to the worst team in the league, and he did it. And he's done it twice with Cleveland. He's done it twice. Where obviously in the second stint he won the championship finally for Cleveland, but he left, and now Cleveland are in the doldrums again. That is the first instance, the first genuine instance of a player moving from a team to another team, making the team he jumped on a actual genuine title contender, and obviously with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosch added to it. He made the move and he created the wave. Okay, he created that tsunami. There are not many players in the league that can do that now. Kawhi Leonard has made himself that person, and he made a move so monumental that even LeBron James has to applaud him. So listen to this, right? This is from this is an IG post, and is, is and you know if you go from if you if you go on their Facebook and Twitter, they probably have this exact same text anyway. But I just went on Instagram for it from Basketball Forever. Okay, Kawhi Leonard is out here playing 4D chess. He never wanted to play with LeBron James or join the Super Team. But he took a meeting with the Lakers and remained in constant communication anyway. The Los Angeles Lakers were convinced they had their guy, and Kawhi clearly never gave them reason to feel differently. But it makes sense that he knew exactly what he's doing, what he was doing. Dragging this whole thing out meant the Lakers ran out of time to sign a third star. They also missed out on every half decent free agent, other than Danny Green, ironically. Kawhi Leonard, Kawhi's people even contacted the Lakers two hours before making the Clippers announcement, asking them to hold off on making the Anthony Davis trade official, according to ESPN. And it wasn't just the Lakers that Leonard drove a knife into by helping Paul Paul George. Uh, excuse me, it went went somewhere. By helping Paul George escape OKC, Oklahoma City, uh, he destroyed Russell West Russell Westbrook and the Thunder. He vaporized Raptors' chances of defending their title or even contending at all. He def- he ended the Warriors' dynasty and even indirectly ended Kevin Durant. Kawhi was the reason the Raptors were up to 3-1 in the finals, which pushed Durant to return before he was ready to and suffer the most devastating injury in, injury in basketball. So, Leonard sabotaged one contender, completely annihilated two others all at once, throwing San Antonio Spurs, and that's four contenders ticked off his hit list. On and off the court, Kawhi Leonard is a cold-blooded killer, making moves none of us thought a quote-unquote fun guy was capable of. And ain't that the damn truth? And there was also another report going on a couple of days later saying he actually tried to recruit Kyrie Irving before he contacted Paul George, which makes me laugh because Paul George is miles better than um, miles better than uh, Kyrie Irving. But anyway. That's beside the point. <laughs> That's just me being a, a Kyrie hater. But just, I don't think I don't think people outside basketball can understand how monumental Kawhi Leonard made this move. He absolutely finessed four teams in the space of two years. Finessed them. That is a G move upon a G move upon a GG move. Absolute cold blooded. So let me get into this uh, quick. Um, let me get into this quick piece as well uh, by the undefe- uh, Mark J. Spears, the undefeated. Kawhi Leonard and Paul George pull off the ultimate power move. And I feel this gives more context. Uh, quote, we're coming home, Paul George exclaimed on his friend's Instagram late Friday night. 
It was the declaration no one in the league saw coming. Another bold statement that the NBA's best players hold tremendous power. Andy Davis's power move got him to the Los Angeles Lakers alongside LeBron James. Kevin Durant departed Golden State. The Golden State Warriors to join two of his buddies, Kyrie Irving and Giando Jordan, and the Brooklyn Nets. And in the most stunning move of the offseason, Finals MVP Kawhi Leonard got fellow Southern California native George to team up with him on the LA Clippers. Yes, two more star players who had similar paths to the NBA and who several sources described as pretty good friends somehow forced their way home together. Leonard, who just led the Toronto Raptors to their first NBA title, sold George on the idea of winning a championship together. Sources said Leonard and George also wanted to play for Clippers coach Doc Rivers. It was just a year ago that George signed a four-year, $137 million contract with the Oklahoma City Thunder. Remember when PG was on stage with fellow Thunder star Russell Westbrook in Oklahoma City, asking fans if they would have him back? It seemed like Westbrook and George were a duo Thunder fans would cheer forever. Los Angeles wasn't in the picture. The natives of Palmdale, Florida, about an hour drive outside of LA, had even turned down a chance to meet with the Lakers as a free agent last year. Excuse me. George was disappointed that the Lakers had declined the, to trade the number. Excuse me again. Number two pick in 2017 NBA draft, which was Lonzo Ball, or young forward Brandon Ingram to the Pacers to acquire him. A source previously told the undefeated. Now I would have gone for that easy. Lonzo and Brandon Ingram for Paul George. Yep. Bet. Take that. Take that. Take, give me that. Give me that. That is an easy trade. Easy make. Anyway, Lakers messed up on that. Anyway, continuing. So after the Pacers traded him to the Thunder, George re-signed for max money in Oklahoma City. In hindsight, it was a smart move to get more financial stability brackets. The Thunder could offer the most bracket and brackets and figure the rest out later, which he did on Friday night. According to sources, since George Westbrook and the Thunder suffered a disappointing first round exit in the playoffs in April, Westbrook had been quietly grumbling about the team's struggles and may want out. Just a side note, Russell Westbrook might be coming to the Miami Heat and I am gassed for that. And there are many, there are many trades going around. I just hope they don't just butcher the young core because that. What's the point? What is the point of having the team if it's just if you're going to ride or die with Butler and Westbrook? You need to have some young dudes there. You need to. But anyway, that's beside the point. Uh, come, come to Miami, uh, Westbrook. Come, come to Miami. Force it down. Force it down their throats. Uh, where was I? Uh, George, meanwhile, beat him to the punch. George asked his agent, Aaron Mintz, to tell Thunder general manager Sam Presti not only that he was re- was he requesting a trade, but also that he wanted to join forces with Leonard. Sources said, "I'm just gonna keep uh, I'm just gonna keep going uh, down the uh, down the thing because obviously it's just news." Uh, I'll get some quotes here. You can't blame a guy for wanting to go home. Raptors coach Nick Nurse told reporters at summer league on Saturday. That's what he texted me today. I'm going home. And I just said, you've changed a lot of lives by what you've accomplished in Toronto, mine especially, unquote. Time will tell how Leonard, how the Leonard-George power move will impact the NBA in coming years. But owners and team executives are certainly on notice about how star players are controlling their own destiny. Leonard and George are coming home and they did it together. See, just to, just one point on the on the future, I guess. Watch out for Giannis Antetokounmpo and his free agency period. Just watch out for that, because if he—and this is a point by made by somebody—I forgot to, I forgot who, so I unfortunately can't give credit. But it was it was like a NBA analyst or just a someone I listened to anyway on podcast form. Uh, this dude mentioned that um, if Giannis left, right? I think it was on the Hoop Collective, uh, one one of those guys. 
if Giannis leaves Milwaukee, right, what hope is there for small small market teams like Milwaukee? What is, what hope is there for someone like an Oklahoma City already? Now, I think they should move back to Seattle. That's just my opinion because I love because I love the Seattle SuperSonics and I just find them a real historic franchise and I want them back. I just love the kits as well. But anyway, I digress. If Giannis moves to a big big city like New York or whatever, for example, New York, L.A., Chicago, even right, if he or Texas, anywhere in Texas, if he moves there, right, there is no hope for small market teams. Zero, zero hope because now look look at it now. We have the L.A. Clippers, the L.A. Lakers, we have the Brooklyn Nets. Those three are soon to be. Well, Clippers and Lakers are part, you know, in the favourites. Obviously, Durant is injured at the moment, so Brooklyn can't exactly be favourites yet. But on paper, obviously, they will be, in a couple of years, they will be contenders. That's three big market teams right there. And if you're having someone like Kawhi Leonard leaving Toronto, which isn't a small market by any means, but it's an out-of-country market technically, obviously being in Canada and not United States of America... This is this will make this is a prelude to what Giannis does because Giannis is that last superstar to make a big move, the last one, the last superstar to make a big move, and if he leaves Milwaukee, that will just shock. That will send shock waves throughout the league that might actually just change the league forever because if you make that superstar status, that you know arbitrary abstract line. <laughs> that nobody knows what it looks like. Just, just that you know, just that undrawn line of superstardom and just stardom. If you reach that superstar level, like a Giannis, like a Kawhi Leonard, like a Anthony Davis and LeBron James, if you reach that level, and you decide to leave your small market team for someone like Giannis, especially, what hope is there? What hope is there for small market teams? What hope is there for teams that just aren't the Lakers that don't have the history? What is it for? What what can teams with no history do? You know, uh, the Knicks would be much greater if they had decent if they had a decent owner in front uh, front office, but they don't. People would flock to New York if they had a decent uh, front office and uh, an owner. They have a great coach in David Fisdale, but other than that, they they can't get they can't get anybody because because of that reason. They can't get anybody, you know. You can't just flex or oh, MSG, uh, the Mecca. You, you can't. You can't flex. You can only flex that for so long. You really can't only flex that for so long. So, I'm, I'm, I'm just absolutely still to this day. You know, it's been a, it's been about a week, but I'm still flabbergasted at how much of a gangster move Kawhi Leonard pulled. Getting Paul George to come to the Clippers, forcing the Clippers to give up. An unholy amount of draft picks, and it's safe to say that LeBron isn't the only one that can make power moves anymore. And to be honest, in my mind, this is only the beginning. So we move on to. Let's start with the first of film and TV, and I'll, I'll do both in I'll do both in quick succession. I'll leave on the life, as I usually do anyway. I didn't do in a week where I totally forgot about that. Shall I do it now? All right, in a week where 
I ain't gonna bother editing. I ain't gonna bother editing that in. I'll, I'll do it now. In a week where a UK advertising watchdog determined that having 30k followers on your social media makes you a celebrity, that seems really low, doesn't it? But also very high. I, I don't know. It's, it, I guess it's. I guess it's a decent number. Uh, the US women's national team wins the women's World Cup for the fourth time. Alex Morgan. Uh, is it Alex Morgan? I think it's Morgan. Yeah, she's flexing that tea sipping thing so much. So seriously, I've seen that four times already. Give it a rest. Anyway, uh, MPs vote to libera- liberalise abortion in Northern uh, Northern Ireland and also same-sex marriage. And the award for most ironic moment of 2019 goes to, drumroll please, Tommy Robinson, pleading the US government to grant him asylum. Tommy Robinson, of all people, asking to be a refugee. You cannot write this. You cannot write this. Salute to Tommy Robinson. You fucking idiot. <laughs> you twat. Anyway, continuing on. So now, let's get to film and TV. Now that I've gone a week wear out of the way. Boy, I totally forgot about that. That, that. that totally slipped my mind. I just really wanted to talk about Kawhi Leonard. Honestly, such a G-move. Anyway. Oh, boy. Right, so this is about... This is a disturbing trend that I haven't seen, but I was... Put, I was, my attention was drawn to this. I didn't notice this myself until recently. And you probably haven't noticed either. Uh, so this is an article from Shadow and Act by... I hate, I hate the fact that they put the author below at the bottom of the article, so I have to go all the way down. This is by Trey Mangum of Shadow and Act, right? The danger in Hollywood's continued humanisation of white supremacists. Stay with me here. <laughs> Unless you've totally checked out on what's been going on in Hollywood, again, excuse the plane, I hate being on a flight path, bro, I really despise it. Anyway, continuing on. Uh, Unless you've totally checked out of what's been going on in Hollywood, it's been hard not to notice what is a disturbing trend. There have been multiple projects that are in the works that seem to either sympathise with white supremacists or present them in a non-threatening nature. Although these projects may seem harmless to some, they are extremely dangerous and participate in violent rhetoric that continues to perpetuate white supremacy. Two projects in particular have gained lots of attention over the past month. Burden, a film that premiered back in January 2018 at Sundance, is said to be released in theatres on November 2019, just in time for the award season. A literal Ku Klux Klan redemption tale is the true story of a man who decided to leave the terrorist organisation and was later taken in by a black church while he was on the run from another clan, from other clan members. Excuse me. Like most of these films, this this one has a starry ensemble cast that features Forrest Whitaker, Mudbound's Garrett Headland, and even Grammy Award-winning singer uh, R&B singer Usher. Last week, this trend continued in what just might be the most disturbing of these films and projects that have been put into development. Shameless producer John Wells signed a huge deal with Warner Brothers, putting 13 shows in the work in the works. Chief among them, you guessed it, a white supremacist sympathy tale. Really? According to <laughs> according to the Hollywood Report, Heart of Lion, based on a Finnish film, quote, revolves around the white nationalist who falls in love with a woman who has a black son and has to confront his own past, his family and beliefs in a rapidly changing America in the age of Trump. Is this seriously being made? Sorry, I, I, I know my tone just dropped as, as soon as I carried on reading that. That's just... <sighs> I mean, let's just let, let's just let that wash over us for a second there. Anyway, continuing on. So now we are legitimately putting black children in the crossfire for the sake of white supremacist redemption story. 
Earlier this year, Best of em- Enemies bombed at the be- uh, bombed at the best. Yeah, at the best. Is that a, is that an event at the best? I don't know. It, is, it has best in capsules, so I don't know what, what the best is. Which starred Taraji B. Henson as iconic civil rights act- activist Anne Atwater and Sam Rockwell as the Grand Wizard of the KKK. I did see, uh, I did see trailers of that, and I was just like, mm, no, 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 that's not that's not gonna fly, Chief. Not gonna fly. Oh, sorry, guys. I just got a text from. Uh, oh yes, it's it's from Chief. He says it's not it. Uh, instead of focusing on Atwater, Best of Enemies flattened her character in order to make space for the KKK members' character to develop and garner audience sympathy. And though this last year's Oscar-winning film, Black Klansman, was not a KKK redemption tale, it did not present members as a bumbling group of fools with sometimes interspr- interspersed moments of humour as opposed to lethal white supremacists. Last year's Where Hands Touch... Oh god, just by the name I know it's going to be corny as shit... Directed by Amara Sante. No, Emma. No, don't, don't. Oh, I can't be. Sorry. Oh, I can't be. Oh God, I'm, I'm afraid to read this. Starred Amanda Stenberg as a bi. Oh God, biracial girl in Germany who falls in love with a young Nazi. Fuck. Ugh. Why is this happening? A biracial girl in Germany who falls in love with a young Nazi. Why? Why, people? Why, Mr. Sante? Why? Anyway, I'm I'm really battling for getting this getting this out. Though the film was released in the late twenty eight in late 2018 to mostly mixed to negative reviews, it didn't receive much attention until the following January when it was released on demand. As people discovered the film, uh, sorry, as people discovered the, this is another sentence. As people discovered the film, memes were created and fresh criticism was unleashed. Showing that black audiences and other moviegoers don't want to see white supremacist redemption stories, no matter who is starring in them. But Hollywood isn't getting the message. The short film Skin, which depicts neo-Nazis beating a black man and referring to him as racial slurs, just won the 2019 Oscar for Best Short Film. I did see the trailer for that. Horribly jarring. Uh, the same director now has made a feature film of the same name, Oh, God. Though this feature chronicles the story of a real-life man who co-founded one of the biggest white power skinhead organizations in America, who decides to get his many tattoos associated with the organization removed after he becomes a father and decides to stop. <laughs> what? Decides to... Becomes a father and decides to stop being racist. <laughs> oh, God. So it's just like that, yeah? It's just, just a finger click, yeah? Uh, no, not racist. Racist, not racist. Absolute gold. The feature uh, premiered at the Toronto Film Festival, International Film Festival, sorry, in 2018, and will be released this July, backed by the same production outfit that brought us Moonlight A24. Oh, this is cringe. Okay, this. Uh, I'm gonna stop there. I think you get the. I think you get the picture. You know, we could talk about. We can mention Green Book as well. Obviously, that isn't the exact same thing, but it's kind of the same shit about. Oh, I'm racist. You know, based on the story on a character where it's like. Oh, I'm racist, and then by the end of the film, he's like, oh, "I'm still, I'm still very, very prejudiced, but I'm not that racist anymore." It's tiresome, ladies and gentlemen. It's tiresome, and now it's becoming a thing. It's becoming a trend. Even Emma freaking Asante's doing it. And if you don't know Emma Asante, just look her up. Great, amazing director. But um, oh, it's it's so tiresome just reading the but just reading the taglines to these, reading the bylines to these. I'm just like. 
I, I, I'm so I'm utterly confused as to why this is happening. And I know why it's happening. You know, I kind of know why it's happening. You can you can understand why it's a thing. And there's a lot of context here, but I just I really, really, and this is probably me being naive. I genuinely thought we were getting somewhere. Really did. I really genuinely thought we were getting somewhere. And now we're allowing these films to pass. And you know, if you want to compare it to a film like American History X, right? American History X is a great film. I think people that have seen it, you know, obviously it's very gruesome and but it's a great film. It is a great film. But there are so many there there are so many ways well there are so little ways sorry there's not many ways you can slice that story there is not many ways you can slice it once you've seen one you've seen them all and i'm not saying that people can't tell their stories of course they can't but is 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 really telling these white supremacy redemption stories worth it are they really worth it what are you guys learning what are you learning from watching these? I really want to ask, like, the writer and directors and producers of these films. Like, what is the, what is the ideal here? What what's the idea? So you're telling me that racism is some it, 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 well, white people can hop off racism really really quickly. Are you trying to inspire races to not be racist anymore? It, I don't. I don't really get it here. What's your audience for this? What What are your audiences for these films? Uh, you know, the small, 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 very, very, very small percentage of people that were race that were, you know, KKK members or, you know, part of the National Front. If we were going British, for example, what are we doing here? I really don't know what we're doing here. See, for something like. For something like um, uh, This Is England, okay, that's not exactly the same thing. Obviously, there was much more storyline towards that, and actually, that's how it worked. They used the character Combo, played by Stephen Graham, amazing, amazing portrayal. You know, in that, in This Is England, and also the TV shows as well, uh, the, the TV spin-offs, that, that was only part of the story. It wasn't the story. Do you see how, where we're getting that here? See, they're making the films part at the story, not part of the story. See, if you wanted to make Green Book, right? If you wanted to make Green Book, which I happily wish it would be remade uh, in the image of Dr. Don Shirley and him as the main character and not this other dude. If you want to make Green Book, then you would make... Don Shirley the story and if you want to make the racism part of the story then by all means but you're making these you're making these redemption stories the story the a a block in the story and that doesn't make sense it logically doesn't make sense I don't know who will watch these films I don't know who the audience for these films are, and that's probably me, just me being kind of low-key closed-minded, I guess. If I'm being closed-minded, please let me know, but I just don't understand it. I really, I really don't understand it, and it's kind of 
not scary, but troublesome. It's very troublesome that this is the thing that people want to make. These are the films pe- some people want to make. The Even Amra Sante, who's an amazing director, as I said, wants to make this, uh, like, uh, uh, a kid in uh, the, the boy in striped pyjamas, but relationship. It doesn't... It, Eh, it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. It's cringe. It makes me cringe. It if you if, if for something like um here's a here's a contrast, okay. So I watched um what was the what was the film? Kiri? No, not Kiri. Um Rafiki. I watched Rafiki yeah, the a few a few a couple of months ago. It's a Kenyan film. It's about some. It's about two girls, and they they they're lesbians, and they and if you don't know about Kenyan and homosexuality, it's very very you get battered. You get battered if you're if you're a lesbian uh, or if you're gay. Okay, in, in Kenya, right? That's basically the gist of it, right? So you can imagine what the film's like. Okay, see if that makes you cringe then that just makes you a homophobe, <laughs> okay? That just, if, if that makes you cringe in any way, well, okay, let me rephrase. It doesn't make you a homophobe, but obviously it makes you, it, the homophobia, uh, homosexuality makes you uncomfortable, okay? And, you know, that's that's up to you. If you feel uncomfortable with that kind of stuff, then that's your prerogative, okay? But me feeling uncomfortable about a racist about a terrorist, about a white supremacist, however you want to slice it, me being uncomfortable with that, me being uncomfortable with Amanda Stenberg in Germany loving up a Nazi, that makes me cringe. I'm sorry, that just makes me cringe. Because, news alert, I don't like racism. (laughs) Newsflash, breaking news, I don't like (laughs) white supremacy. Do you see where I'm getting at? I think I've made my point. I will continue. Just, just fuck these films. Simply put, fuck these films. So we move on to something a little bit lighter. <laughs> the dominance of the white male critic. <laughs> So, for those that aren't into film at all, uh, there's a, there's there is a monopoly of white male film critics in the U.S. and probably even worse so in the U.K. I I don't I honestly don't know a you know a well known critic film critic of color in in the U.K. I I genuinely don't. I generally don't. I generally don't know. I know there's people, uh, people like the British Blacklist that go to you know they do interviews and stuff like that. But I, and they do and they do reviews, I guess. But not. I, I'm I'm saying not on level of you know the, of a regular critic on a publication. You know, what I mean, like the you know like the like the Guardian or the Times or whatever. You know, just a, just where. Where we see the where we see the stars on the posters, that kind of level, you know. I, I don't see a critic of color there. I never do. I never ever do. So, this is something that I have been keeping a pulse on in the past, uh, in, in in recent in recent years. 
and it is something that is not improving at all. I don't, I don't think anyway. I don't, I don't think it's improving. But regardless of the fact, uh, let's let's get into it anyway. Let's just let's just get into it. This is a Thomas the White Male White Male Critic uh, by Elizabeth Mendes and Chi Hui Yang. This is on the New York Times. It's 2019 and we're in the middle of a renaissance in black artistic production and you're telling me the best people to evaluate evaluate that are the same ones who basically ignore black eyes for decades, the art critic Antoine Sargent tweeted in May. He was referring to reviews of this year's Whitney Biennial, Biennial, Biennial uh, which will close in late September. But he could have been writing about reviews of film, theatre, dance and even hip-hop. The curators were a black woman and a white woman, and a majority of the artists they featured were people of colour, half were women, many were young. But in major media outlets, white critics wrote reviews that defined the conversation about the country's preeminent contemporary art show, but not without resistance. Excuse me. When Peter... Jesus, that's it. name. Sheldal. 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 If you saw that name, you'd be confused as well anyway. Of the New Yorker described photographs of by John Edmonds as quote-unquote slang. Some, read, some readers wondered if he did so only because the artist and his subjects were black. After Deborah Solomon of WNYC called white supremacy a quote tired academic slogan in a positive review of artist Nicola Galanin's white noise American prayer rug, he challenged her online. Several white reviewers faintly praised the show but argued that it wasn't radical enough. In response, Simone Lee, an artist featured in the Biennial, suggested that reviewers could not detect radicalism and the theme she draws from a criticism others echoed. Uh, the problem is not that quote this quote this is uh, the problem that is not that these critics lack some essential connection with the work of artists of color. The art critic Aruna D'Souza said in an interview, "It's that many of them are simply simply are not familiar with the intellectual, conceptual, and artistic ideas that underlie the work." To be sure, people of color did review the show, but their work was much less visible than that of white reviewers. A, a dynamic shaped. Uh, by the perception that the opinions of people of colour are not universal. This matters because culture is a battleground, where some narratives win and others lose. Whether we believe someone should be locked in a cage, or is not shaped by the stories we absorb about one another, and whether they're disrupted or not. At a time when equality and white supremacy are soaring, collective opinion is born at monuments, museums, screens and stages, well before it's confirmed at the ballot box. Yet those who have for decades been given the biggest platform to in interpret culture are white men. This means that spaces in media where national mythologies are articulated, debated and affirmed are largely still segregated. Uh, the conversation about our collective imagination has the same blind spots as our political discourse. The sixth most influential art critics in the country as selected by their peers are all white. The writer Mary Louise Schumacher who, yeah, found in a recent survey of more than 300 working visual arts art critics, almost all of them are men who have written for legacy publications for at least 20 years. That's true of other genres like film reviews where there are 27 white male film critics for each woman of colour, a study from the Annenberg Inclusion Initiative found. 
Yet the most dynamic art in America today is being made by artists of colour and indigenous eyes. Consider the work of two artists in the biennial, Alexandra Bell, who inci- whose incisive newspaper layouts illustrates the media's compl- complicity in racist stereotypes, and the gorgeous mixed-media banners of Jeffrey Gibson, who, which managed a rethinking of laws like Stand Your Ground from an indigenous 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 perspective let's get that word right charlie (laughs) um art reviewers art reviews matter because they can define aesthetic movements or dismiss them mexican band of music for example has largely been written out of mainstream musical history despite an despite an audience in the millions culture writers uh, can launch their can launch careers and uh and turn an off off broadway play into a must-see show Reviews create momentum that shape the economic and intellectual marketplaces. Consider how this is played out around the movie Green Book, where it premiered at the Toronto Film Festival in September. Most reviews heralded it as a heartwarming triumph over, <laughs> over racism. But two months later, when it started screening in movie theaters across America, Black Riot saw it as a trite example of the country's insatiable appetite for white savior narratives. Do you see a trend happening here, ladies and gentlemen? I think I do. <laughs> I think I see a trend going on, and it's not good. So this is basically it, isn't it? This is this is the uh, this is the uh, another side of the coin of why this is all crap, of why this is such a problem for people to realise. This is because the reason why these white nationalist films or, or or painting them in a in a better light is because they're reviewed by white people they're reviewed by white people that you know consider themselves they, they consider themselves not racist and they see a person they see a white guy being not racist and they go oh look he's he's not racist he's changed but you know for someone like me who's mixed race and uh, you know other black people and people of color and asians and you know latin latina latin latin uh, americans or whatever you know people of color that's what i'm trying to say we see in a different context we see as who the fuck is this guy <laughs> you know what i mean it's just, it's literally it this is the point i'm trying to make throughout this throughout these two Throughout these two pieces, these are things that are just being swept under the rug and considered great pieces of art. And then you see somebody talking about racism in an art piece and they might not understand it. And that's fine if they don't understand it. But it's not your context. It's not your context. Your context isn't... I don't want to say it ain't applicable... But it's skewered. It's skewered. Well, I I asked um, I asked beforehand, you know, in the previous segment, who are these? Who are these? What are these white supremacists gone good films? Who are they being made for? It could it could be it could be theorized that they're being made for white people that feel bad, I guess. I don't know. They're being made for white people of some ilk. Definitely not people of colour. And that lack of awareness, that lack of inclusivity from a critical perspective. And let's be real, okay? Film criticism, music criticism, 
TV criticism, any type of criticism is relevant. And especially in arts and stage, highly relevant, I think, highly relevant, because some people might not understand it. Some people see, you know, some arts exhibitions and they might probably need a critic to tell them what's going on. I certainly would. I trust a I trust a art critic, I trust a theatre critic because I don't know anything about, you know, fine art. I don't know anything about theatre. I'm not educated in that. So I would happily go off go to see something if I wanted to off someone's recommendation to go see it. I would happily do that. That'll be fine by me. That's worth it. But when it comes to films, Obviously, they're more mainstream. Critics are not as prevalent or as relevant as they are in stage or fine art. But they are still relevant. They still make headway. They still make waves. They still, you know, tip the scales on whatever's happening. You see a film on Rotten Tomatoes and it's, you know, and it's rotten. If it ain't certified fresh, then you might not watch it. If it's rotten, then you definitely probably won't won't be won't watch won't be watching it. You won't be giving your money to it. Why would you? <laughs> you know what I mean, why why would you? Why why in your right mind would you? So this is a problem on many sides, and it links to what I was talking about before, where these films are being made, and white critics are saying it's good when. Some a person of colour sees it and they're going hold on a minute that's a bit sketchy there or why is it like that nobody nobody else would nobody else a white critic wouldn't think of it because they why would why should they why should they why why they, they look at it from their lens and their lens only and that's the point of being a critic you look at it from your lens and your lens only and if people trust you they trust you and that's fine but there are not many. There are not many. And but the good, the great critics, are the ones that try to encapsulate the thoughts of many. And that's where film crit, especially film critics, I believe, fail, because they take they they look at something and they just see it from their lens, and that's completely fine. Yeah, so it's completely fine. That's that's how it's supposed to work. That's the bare bones of being a, being a film critic, but. It's not enough when you're watching a film that has these questionable narratives and these questionable contexts and it just completely goes over you because you, you don't see it. You don't see it. And then people watch it because you said it's good. I don't see anything wrong with it. Four stars. But then a person of colour sees it and they're going, hang on. Mm, no, there's there's a lot wrong with it. I'm telling you, diversity isn't a bad thing, really, honestly. It's, it really isn't. It genuinely isn't. There's a lot of fear-mongering going on about it, but... Pfft, I, don't, I, I, I don't see... I don't see how it could be a negative, especially from a cultural perspective. If you had black, if you had black critics, or critics of colour anyway, wherever, wherever uh, race they are, then they could add the context, the correct context, and then the critic, and then the critique will be more well-rounded, 
and then people can trust it more or find the trust that they never know they should have they should have had if that makes any sense so i mean <laughs> nothing really much else to say but fix up fix up publications move on to our last segment which is life and like I said I wanted to keep it relatively relatively positive so I found this um, I found this uh, article uh, from the Guardian by Nicola Davis and it's a if it's if it's proper then this is a genuinely good thing to look forward to to be honest so the title is device could bring solar both solar power and clean water to millions uh, so let's get into it. This is, it sounds relatively positive, obviously, from some title alone. See what's up. A, a device that can produce electricity from sunlight while simultaneously purifying water has been produced by researchers, an invention they say could solve two problems in one stroke. The researchers say the device is not only a source of green energy, but also offers an alternative to current technologies for purifying water. These, they add, often consume large amounts of electricity and require infrastructure beyond the reach of many communities that lack basic access to safe drinking water, a situation thought to affect more than 780 million people worldwide. Quote, these people spend collective 200 hours, uh, 200 million? 200M? Is that million? Hours a day? No way. Fetching water from different sources. That's a mad number of fears if it's actually 200 million. Because it says 200 M. I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. If it's, or if it's meters. I, I don't know. But yeah, that's still crazy regardless. Uh, said Professor Peng, <laughs> Peng Wang. What name? A co-author of the research from King Abdullah University of Science and Technology in Saudi Arabia. Well, something good from Saudi Arabia once, for once. Uh, with solar farms often located in arid regions, the device could provide clean water where it is needed most. What is more, the team says the team say it could be used in a backyard or an industrial scale. Just a side note. Imagine going to university in Saudi Arabia. Boy, what a life that could be. Anyway, um, having a significant amount of fresh water produced continuously on a daily basis means many challenging tasks can be uh, can then be easily achievable, said Wang. Uh, quote, the generated clean water can be used for cleaning solar panels to remove dust particles. It can, all, it can be used to irrigate plants, crops, making desert agriculture possible. Writing in the journal Nature Communications, Wang and colleagues reveal how they constructed the device. On, to on the top is a horizontal commercial, commercial silicon uh, silicon solar cell, and beneath this are several tiers, though through which saline, brackish, or contaminated surface water is run. Waste heat from the solar cell warms the saline water passing immediately beneath it. The water evaporates, passes through a membrane, and condenses to yield clean water, releasing heat in the process that warms the saline water in the tier below that. The process is then, process is then repeated for the next tier. The purified water flows out of the device and is collected. The team found the device the device can be used to purify salt water as well as seawater contaminated with heavy metals. With the water collected uh, 
containing levels of lead, copper, sodium, calcium, magnesium, magnesium, all below the levels deemed safe for drinking water by the World Health Organization. While the team outlined various versions of the device, they reveal that under conditions on par with a bright, cloudless day, the energy efficiency of the solar cell was about 11%. A figure, say, is on a par with what would be expected without the distillation... Yeah, distillation section attached and higher than previously reported by others others working on such devices. The device was also able to produce clean water from seawater at a rate they say is higher than conventional solar stills. Uh, there's a quote on the last bit. It is our hope that we can move quickly to push this technology forward uh, t- towards its large-scale adoption, he said. So this is... um, Okay, I'm just, I'm just going to... I'm not, I'm not going to be negative here. I just I just want to I just want to say something that reminds me of uh, this reminds me of something. I watched a well I used to follow a uh, what is it a, uh, an Instagram page right I think it was called I think it was simply called Tech to be honest I don't know who it was by it just it was just called Tech and they constantly posted videos and photos of these you know life changing ex- life changing things such as these such as this uh, solar power and uh, water distillation there thing uh, clean water giver i guess or creator uh, I, I saw a lot of these things and i was just so disillusioned because i was like so what are we waiting for <laughs> do you know what i mean do you remember do you remember there was there was something going around on social media for for about a year right where it was um there was these things like sea bins, right? You put you put this thing in the sea, and it sucks and it sucks the water, and takes in all the trash and obviously lets the water out, right? It's, ba- it's basically like a filter. So you put it in the you put it in a river or the sea or whatever, and it just sucks up all the crap, and then the water goes out through the netting. We haven't heard from that since, you know what I mean? I haven't I haven't heard of it since, and it's just really. I find it really jarring, and I, I I can't help be just think about it like think about this thing like like that, and just go. I really hope this becomes a thing. I, obviously, I really hope this do beca- does become a thing because it's because it's a bloody lifesaver. That's water and solar power. Do you realise how monumental that is? That's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. So while I hope it works, I just can't help be just skeptical sometimes and I hate that I'm not, I hate that I'm like this the world is really it messed me up like that but with that said uh it is a genuine good thing and you know I just I I, I always try to seek well actually I'm gonna be real with you I don't always try and seek the good in in a news in general you know, there's a lot of crap news going about. There's always crap news going about. You know, it's not news if it ain't negative in my mind. But um, this is a genuine positive and is something hopefully to look forward to. I really hope this becomes a thing because there are so many... I believe there are so many inventions that have come and gone in the past few years where it's a genuine breakthrough in whatever field and... And especially if it helps, you know, human humans live and, and you know and help and help ease suffering in certain countries. 
I can't he- I can't help but sometimes just be skeptical but regardless I'm going to try and I'm going to I'm going to try to be hopeful and I'm going to I'm going to hope that by this time next year this has this has this has legs and I hope it becomes a genuine news item that I can be happy about finally and you can you guys will see it on BBC News or Channel 4 News or wherever you get your news and hopefully it's just a Hopefully, it's just a the people that the people that uh, that created it. Shout out to Professor Wang. Um, hope they become heralded for it because this is generally something that can be great. And with that said, I'll end it there, ladies and gentlemen. This has been episode thirty-three, the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar episode <laughs> of What's Good. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was number thirty-three. That's why I'm saying that because he's the goat, and it's a fact. Um, yeah, but I hope you guys I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I, you know, I obviously made a concise attempt to be positive at the end of it, <laughs> while also throwing my negativity because I'm just like that. And uh, you know, support critics of color. So don't support these white supremacy films. <laughs> Salute to Cry Leonard. <laughs> and yeah, from the Fifth Element Podcast Network, I've been Charlie Taylor. This has been what's good. Intro music is too much by Vanilla. Interlude music is Vista by Poldor. Their links will be in the description below. Have a good week, everybody. I'm going to try and do the same. And until the next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen.